In April 2020, just as the global pandemic was kicking off, Lawrence and I started recording our weekly Friday Firesides. These are conversations broadcast live over the Crowdcast platform and joined by people all over the world who listen in and share their thoughts with us via the chat. We started these live recordings as an opportunity to keep in touch with our members, as well as process what it meant to run a business during a pandemic. Since then, we've broadcast nearly every single Friday and built up a library of over 100 episodes. We cover a range of different topics from money to meaning, pricing to purpose, vision to vulnerability, entrepreneurship to empathy, and product design to life design. This is our perspective of what it means to do business from the inside out, as well as the outside in. If you're a business hippie just like us, then you'll definitely find something of value here. We hope that these conversations inspire and motivate you to do work and build businesses that create meaningful change without burning out. Because like us, you're just wanting to make money, do good and be happy. And so before we actually kick off the conversation, I thought I'm going to do like a little one minute exercise. And the, what I'm going to ask each of you to do is to, to essentially talk about every single job that you've done since childhood for one minute. I've already got some random memories coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, I'll go. So paper round, tennis coach, worked in a call centre, aerobics uh, teacher, then the big company, Boots, Gutso Smith Klein, Barclays, Sainsbury's, running a creative agency, uh, creating my own company, all about careers. Cool. Okay. Lawrence. Chief bottle-upper, I think you might call it, my, my parents' pub, which then turned into being a barman, cleaner, um, pot washer, desktop publishing operator. I don't think those <laughs> things exist anymore. Graphic designer, web designer, interaction designer, um, snooker coach, boat uh, hiring renter person on the Hyde Park, which lasted about a day. Um, accounted for two weeks when I was about 16 and never did it again. Uh, I sold head ties, African head ties in a warehouse in in uh, West London. And I guess you could say these days, coach, events planner, facilitator and uh, winger. <laughs> <laughs> did you say uh, also selling fish at Waitrose? Oh, no, I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, paper round, uh, selling bread at Sainsbury's. Um then, oh my God, maths tutor, trying to book last minute hotel space for a travel company, junior web coder, web technical architect, uh, freelance developer, oh, uh, janitor in a hotel, in a, in a hospital, uh, as work experience, uh, cleaning up Wembley Stadium after the Rolling Stones, uh, Sandwich shop mate, uh, um, sandwich person, uh, cleaning up in a cafe, Burton's menswear, Gap, <laughs> sales executive, and uh, entrepreneur coach. Whoa, boom. <laughs> boom. So let us start. Um, hello, Sarah. How about uh, introducing, for those of the audience that aren't familiar with your work, um, what you do at the moment. 
Yeah, and, and who you're trying to help and how you're trying to help them. Uh, well, we'd like to help everyone, uh, which we know is a bit of a catch-all. But our, our purpose is to make careers better for everyone. And one of the reasons that we started Amazing If is that we recognised lots of career development was really only available for sort of the fortunate few. Certainly if you were in big corporate organisations, as I was, um, often it was quite level dependent or whether you could afford to fund it for yourself. And it was all quite quite ladder-like as well. Sort of careers for a long time have been about climbing the ladder. That's our frame of reference. That's the shape that springs to mind when we think about describing a career. And myself and Helen, we are absolutely accidental entrepreneurs. Uh, we are both, we were both very, very happy in our big kind of corporate settings and environments and, and enjoying enjoying the work that we both did there. And um, we were having just a conversation over a coffee one day where we talked about this sort of changing shape of careers. And I did the slightly cliche napkin drawing where I drew this sort of squiggle and said, I think squiggly careers feels much more reflective of both our experiences now, but also all of these teams that we're leading, the conversations that we're having. And actually for us, the interesting thing, uh, it was almost less now sort of squiggly as a way, a shape of careers, because most people get that. They get that really quickly. The bit that we spend most of our time on is how do we help people with their squiggly careers in a very useful way? Useful is our number one value at Amazing If. So we want to be really practical, try and avoid career cliches that are just often demotivating rather than motivating. And in the work that we do, whether it's the podcasts that we do or books or workshops or just creating free tools, I want somebody to, to be able to use those things and think, this is useful for me, regardless of whether you're in your first job, whether you're in your 50th job, whether you want to deepen your specialism or whether you want to try working for yourself for the first time. And so that's sort of we know we'll never be done um, and we know we will always have more to do. But that's how I spend all my time. I, I like the idea of finding a job that will never be done, because if you like it, then you've got a job for life, which <laughs> ironically yeah. is something that we're also trying to talk about, <laughs> which is like, oh, is that exists anymore? Um, so a question I had was you talked about the the challenges well what i heard was something around about challenges of this idea of the you know everyone's more or less got a squiggly career it feels so what what kind of difficulties do you find people have with confronting that and just you know working with that idea well i think there's uh, challenges that individuals have and i think there's challenges that organizations have and they are actually sometimes different so individually i think letting go of the ladder depending on how committed to that ladder and climbing that ladder you've been can feel really hard um i found it hard to to move out of big organizations i could have started my own company sooner definitely some of the practical things were in place for me to have made that squiggle um quicker than i did and letting go of my my the identity and the status that I sort of created in this more ladder-like world uh, took a bit of a mindset shift and a bit of a reframe in terms of, well, what does success look like for me in my career? And I started my career thinking success equals climbing that ladder as far and as fast as I can and trying to get to the top. I couldn't have told you what the top was, but I, I thought that's what success was. And so you've sort of got to let go of that and figure out for yourself, you've got to ask yourself harder questions like, what does it mean to be successful in my career? And and you're rather than sub subscribing to almost someone else's definition, which is easier, and you're told what to do, and you're told where to go, you've kind of got to figure it out for yourself. 
So I think that can feel hard in terms of squiggly careers, though I would say, in my experience, individuals get squiggly careers, whether they are working in a massive corporate bank or they are running their own companies, people get get the idea pretty quickly. The idea that we're all work in progress, we're all unlearning, relearning and learning all the time, that we're going to have four or five different types of career, that you've got to take accountability and ownership for your own career. I don't really spend that much time persuading individuals of the idea. Organisations are different because uh, the legacy of that ladder means they've got uh, structures in place that are sort of quite ladder-like. And for some organisations, they might recognise the shift, but but making that happen is hard. So to give you a practical example of one of the toughest challenges, and I think it's important we don't shy away from these ones and talking about money. Okay, I'm I'm going to embrace a squiggly career in my organisation, and I'm going to squiggle and stay, as we would describe. I'm going to move from marketing to corporate responsibility. That's what I did in Sainsbury's. Okay, so what happens in terms of pay and pay rises? Because historically, pay is pinned to climbing that ladder. So, you know, pay and money is really important for everyone. It's not our only motivator, but it is important. So if I want to squiggle, does that then mean that I have to let go of uh, like financial reward? Or can an organisation create an environment where I can progress and also still increase my earnings, increase my level of reward based on transferring my talent and the experiences that I've got. And that is a really big shift for organisations. And it's hard for them to do because traditionally pay is all about level. Uh, so that, that that's just one example of, of one of the tough things that I think organisations are grappling with because actually they want flow of people. It's way more expensive to recruit someone new than to reimagine retention, which is why we do loads of experiments with companies at the moment about uh, career safaris. So give people the chance to go and just like try out a different area in a different team. Um, And some of those experiments you can do quite quickly and quite easily. But there are some really big structural things I think we can't shy away from if we really want to make this the reality. If organisations want their people to flow very freely um, rather than straight away look to leave, which is what happens at the moment. I want to do something different. About 60 to 70 percent of people automatically go, well, I've got to I've got to leave. But what happens if you enjoy your organisation, if you've got a good values fit, if you like the people? I don't want those people to feel like they've got to leave. Much better to stay, to squiggle and stay. But again, it can't mean jeopardising income for people or pay or people feeling like they've got to start again from scratch. So there's some mm. knotty problems, as we would describe them, when it comes to squiggly careers. But we are we are finding our way through those. And I think the organisations that are the most impressive are very good at experimenting. So rather than trying to have all of the answers, they they involve people in creating and then they try stuff out. And they're the organisations that seem to be making the most progress that we work with. There's going to be a little bit of a detour, but I couldn't help but just slatch onto this, this idea of money. And and I'm going to think about value. Because you talked about this these levels, and I've seen this in a lot of jobs, and I talked to my wife about this. It's like different grades, different levels. So if you're at this level, you get paid this much. If you're this level, so it's really clear and transparent how much you get paid uh, depending on the level you're at. And then there's how much value you create for a business. And I'm not sure how sometimes they equate. And for the individual, what value means to them as well in terms of their lives. So there's this thing around, okay, I go from, I don't know, you said marketing to corporate responsibility, social responsibility, Mm -hmm. for instance. And I'm just going to 
speak out loud here it might be totally incorrect and say the there's a pay cut there for instance so on one hand there's a perception of oh that's value well from the company it seems that potentially is valued less from in terms of monetary perspective but then from a personal point of view you can either say think oh that job is like less value in general because we are equating money to value but then what does it mean what does and you're talking about what does success mean to me what does that also then terms in mean terms of the value that I get from working in that role yeah I think there are a few things I think one of the things that we spend quite a lot of time helping people with is the value of your transferable talents so we can't help but see the things that we are good at in the context of how we use them today so I can't help but think um, okay one of the things I'm great at is starting stuff from scratch like I love developing new ideas and if you ask me to give some examples of that I can give it in the here and now because that's you know, we're present focused and we're sort of very good at being short term. But if I'm going to think about squiggling in a different direction, um, if I'm going to go away and do something new, if I decide I'm going to go and do something different, I've got to figure out how to transfer that talent. So it's useful, potentially by using it in a different way. That's what's really, that's something that I value because I enjoy it. And that's where I find my flow, but also it is valuable. So it's value valuable to me in terms of I. I like spending time on that and I've got to figure out how is that useful for other people. And so part of that, I think, is asking some how questions. So rather than going, what do do I do? It's almost like what helps me to do my job really well? What is it about how I do my job that helps me to succeed? And then start to figure out, well, then how could that be helpful somewhere else? So that having that confidence that you don't have to keep using those things that you're good at in the way that you use them today. You know that um, what got us here won't get us there. And we are all like we're all unlearning and relearning all the time. Like, you know, how I use my strengths in the context of a small, fast growing organization is so different to Sainsbury's. And I think that's one of the things that I was fearful of. I was like, well, I'm I'm good in a big company. I, I can see how I am valuable in this company. But does that value diminish? Like, is it still useful when I then go and run a company, which I've never done before? So, so I don't know. So I think one of the things with squiggly careers that everyone's getting more used to is that sense of, firstly, there is always an unknown when you squiggle because you've often not done it before, but you've got to have confidence in your transferable talents. So I've got to have confidence that uh, my ability to develop people, that uh, that I love starting stuff from scratch. I'm, I'm good with a blank piece of paper. I'm really good at uh, long-term relationship building, that those things are really valuable assets or transferable talents that I can take with me wherever I go um, and feeling like they will be useful. So you've got to be confident to talk about them for a start. I think you've also got to have that, there's sort of a push and pull that happens. And you want people to sort of pull you towards them as well. You don't want to feel like you're pushing yourself on people. And I think when I moved from marketing to corporate responsibility, I would say a really significant enabler of that was the director that I was going to work for, who who I had never worked in corporate responsibility. And I was going to be head of corporate responsibility for a FTSE 100. That feels on paper, I would say, like quite a big risk for that director. You know, she is putting a lot of trust in my transferable talents. So I think the we shouldn't underestimate the kind of role of leadership and people who've got the ability to kind of pull those transferable talents and have the confidence in people's potential. I do see it time and time again. People are capable of more they give than they give themselves credit for, definitely. People can transfer their talents and lots of things are learnable. Most things are learnable. I didn't know anything about corporate 
responsibility reporting, for example. But could I demonstrate that I had learned things before, that I got good learning agility, it's sometimes described as, yes, that was what was important. Have I got a right, the right learning mindset? Have I got that learning agility? Okay, well, does Sarah know anything about corporate responsibility reporting? No. Do I believe that she can learn it and that she'll be motivated to do that and driven to do that? Yes. Okay, fine. I sort of, I'll, I, the value in Sarah is in her transferable talent. And I believe that she can learn the things that are very learnable. And we're seeing, I felt like I was quite an exception to the rule when I first did that. But we are now seeing so many more examples. And I think I get emails every week from someone who has sort of rethought how they think about their career for themselves and their organisation have helped them to do that. And they've now moved from being a scientist to being a senior HR person. We had one example of that this week. And she was just, she's absolutely flying. She's loving it. Does, does that mean she wants to work in HR forever? Like, who knows? There is no point doing five-year career plans anymore. They're just not useful. Much better off to think about like, how are we growing? How are we developing? How are we being curious about where our careers could take us? I was, it was interesting that you talked about there's, a, there's the content, the knowledge, which you mm-hmm. can acquire, but then there's also what's important, the capability to learn, so the ability to learn. And also, uh, so something here, you talked about the, why I had the curiosity to learn, the motivation to actually do something different. And I just wanted to like pass over to Lawrence as well, because given his, the start of his career, there were some transferable skills that you brought from your first job to web design. But yeah, I don't know, you want to, was there anything there in that, that that resonated with your own path, Lawrence? Well, there's my own path, but I think there's also the path that we, we meet a lot of people who are at a point in transition and you know many of them are either starting a business or running a business or looking to maybe start a new business you know reinvent their business or pivot and the one thing I'm seeing a lot of is there's a lot of fear because there's a fear of committing to something and they can't see the almost like you said the transferable skills or the intangibles that actually can serve them even if that turns out not to be the right move for them and I think when I look back to my career, I, I always had this confidence that what you know, what's the worst that could happen? I, I would, I will have yeah. more skills, more experiences, probably a bigger network, and uh, a lot more assets and in, intangibles in my uh, resources that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't tried. And so I think this talks to I think a lot of people. If we, if people can paint a picture of the things that they can take with them, even if it doesn't succeed, I think it just gives people more confidence to actually. Uh, try things out like you said and i love the idea of a, a career safari i'm always thinking like a startup safari like you go on a on a journey and you, you try things out and you go on an adventure and at the very least you'll take a lot of things with you even if it doesn't turn out to be success in the, in the way you thought about it i think you're right in that what often stops us is you know we try to make sure this is going to be the perfect move to make and, and you, you try to kind of have all the certainty and make sure that um you sort of got that concrete sense of you know, I've thought about this and I'm sort of guaranteed to succeed. But I think that is um, a mistake to kind of have that sense of certainty in a world that is always changing and uncertain. The best thing that you can do is think, does it feel like I'm going to get to, you know, use my strengths, kind of stretch my strengths? Does it feel like there's a good values fit, you know, in terms of I'm going to be motivated in the work that I'm doing? And I think to your point, a really practical question I always ask everybody is, what will be true in 12 months time that isn't true today if you do this job? And, mm. and does that feel worth it? Does that feel like the right thing for you? 
um, and asking yourself, like, well, what am I going to learn? How am I going to grow? Um, and I think that is often, certainly for me in my own experience, when I was thinking about moving into Amazing If or Not, I just thought, well, do you know what? In 12 months or in 18 months time, let's imagine, like lots of businesses, our business doesn't work out. What will have been true in like the next 18 months? Oh, well, I will get to have worked. I will have had the opportunity to work and create something with my best friend. So I, my co-founder mm-hmm. is, is also one of my best friends. So I go, OK, well, that, that, that feels like a fun thing to do. Uh, worst case scenario, do I feel like someone will give me a job that will, that will pay my mortgage and my childcare costs, essentially? Yeah, probably. Like, I feel like I've got a good career community around me that in terms of my essentials, my must-haves in terms of really practical things, if it doesn't work out, I think I'll be able to get a job. Okay, well, that feels useful. What new skills will I have gained? Okay, well, I'm going to be using my strengths in a completely different situation and context. And that feels exciting. I feel really motivated by that. And when I think about my four values and I think about, do I feel like those values are going to show up in running my own company in the way that they did in Sainsbury's? No, but do I feel they'll still be present? Like, if anything, even more. And I think it was probably the values that were the tipping point for me. So when I sort of really went, I often see values as a bit like a career criteria of kind of going, well, if there are lens to look at choices through, I think I've made the bravest choices in my career and they've often also been the best choices, so the bravest and the best choices, when I've sort of zoomed out a little bit from just the job title or pay or exactly the company and just thought, right, my values are achievement ideas, learning and variety. How, What kind of fit do I feel like I've got with those four values and this opportunity, this move that I could make? And if those things don't feel like they're going to be present, it probably isn't the right thing for me. But if I feel pretty confident that those things are going to be there and I've talked about them really transparently about being important to me, then that's helped me to kind of do some probably unconventional things along the way. It helped me to work a four day week at Sainsbury's when no one was working a four day week, um, particularly not to do a random business thingy for the other one day. Uh, there was a few people who looked after their kids, but no one who did kind of what I did. Um, you know, I went to be a managing director for a creative agency, went sort of from big clients to an agency. No one sort of goes that way around. Everyone goes agency into client side. So I sort of, I suppose, I, I had the confidence and clarity to for some of my more ambitious squiggles, if you want to think of them like that. I think because I knew what was most important to me and, and had the ability to sort of stress test opportunities and options versus those values. So I... The way I heard you phrase it, it's like these values are the lens through which you can make big decisions or these more important decisions. And the question that springs to mind is, okay, what are my values? Which are really my values? Which are the values that are maybe inherited from the culture, society, the company, the family that I'm in? Because I was, I know this is a question really around you, up until you started Amazing If and you left, you had a, were they the same values? Because they were you had made decisions to go to that. So on one hand, what's coming to mind is like, those values would tell you to stay as well as tell you to leave. Or was there something else that helped you with that shift? So I think your your core values stay really consistent. So your core values are what makes you you. They're sort of your DNA, or for better or for worse, actually. So, you know, my achievement value works for me and you can also imagine it's not hard to imagine how an achievement value can also work against you 
you could work too much um you might jeopardize other parts of your life as a result of it so you know values are just sort of you your core values we have loads of things that are important to us but there's usually sort of three to five things that really matter and if you ever do a kind of career graph of your highs and your lows I guarantee you that all of your highs and your lows of your career so far in your highs your values will be very present and in your lows your values will be missing or there'll be some tension or conflict with those values and so you're spot on in terms of for example at Sainsbury's was I living my values was there a kind of a good fit with my values yep absolutely achievement ideas learning variety but there's a scale you know, there's always shades of grey. So if I was thinking very practically on a scale of zero to 10, how much was I living each of those values? No one lives their values 10 all of the time. And also we don't have work values and personal values. So some of living those values are things that you do outside of work and other things that you're interested in. But I could probably look at that criteria and think, oh, maybe achievement might be an eight out of 10. Ideas might be more like a six. You don't have quite as much freedom um, in the big world of kind of corporate structures. Um, learning, maybe a seven. Variety, at that point, probably more like a six. Because um, I like variety in terms of where I work and how I work. And you know, there was quite a few limitations kind of back in that pre-pandemic world. And so when I then looked at, okay, making a decision to go and work for a smaller company, making a decision to go and work for myself, it wasn't that those values were a zero. Because I think if they're a zero, you're, you're moving much quicker that's when you're kind of going do something different because you'll be unhappy pretty quickly. You know, you'll really, you won't be getting, you won't be feeling particularly motivated. But I think I then thought in amazing if I had already tried it out. So I was already doing it one day a week for, for a while and I was doing it on the side. Amazing if was a side project for a long time. So I wasn't going into the complete unknown. And we know from research, the most successful career change, unfortunately and slightly boringly happens incrementally and slowly. So I very, I sort of very slowly like edged my way through making that career change. So I think I got quite a lot of confidence that not only was I going to get to live my values running Amazing If, but maybe those numbers would be even higher. I didn't quite know because I'd never done it full time, but I'd done it enough. We were already, we'd already written a book. We'd already done a podcast for a couple of years. I've known Helen, my co-founder for 23 years. So that gave me that extra level of confidence. But I still but I still didn't know. I still wasn't sure. There is still that, I think, that final point where you have to take the deep breath and, and decide to go for it. And there are some things I think you can put in place that will set you up for success. But then I did all of that good stuff that I've just described. And I left my job in January 2020. And so for 10 weeks, life was amazing. Best decision ever. Our book did really well. We got good clients. It was all looking good. And 10 weeks later, the pandemic hit. And I watched our revenue disappear for the rest of the year in three days. So everybody's shape of the pandemic looks different. But but we fell off a cliff, li- literally disappeared. Um, now, there's a kind of happy ending to the story. Like, we also recovered very quickly. So we, we were okay. But, you know, I could have done every career development exercise and tool ever invented. And, and I could never have anticipated that. But we did have some things in place that got us through that tough time. We've got cash flow, like really practically. I've got the right people around me in terms of confidence and just a bit of support and reassurance. Um, and we've got some other things that we could do during that time to kind of keep increasing our profile and things. So like I say, it doesn't, there is no, oh, well, if I do this, there's there's like this formula for success. We, we kind of know that's not true. But I do think 
when I see people take a lot of ownership for their career and, and kind of create and design their own career, they're always the people who just seem to be enjoying their day to day. They get to the end of the week and they think, was my time at work well spent this week? And nine times out of 10, they're going, yeah, there's some tough moments and there's some knotty moments along the way. There's a bit of stress here and there because who doesn't have that? But they are feeling good about the value that they add. They are also feeling valuable. And whether that's you're running a massive footsie or whether you're a freelancer, I think those questions are important for all of us. So when I was thinking back at the values, for some reason, because of the way you're using that, I was thinking of graphic equalizers. I was like, all right, that's an eight, that's a six, that's a seven, that's a six. And then it's like, oh, amazing if. Let's push everything up to ten. It's like, how could I actually live a life where everything is like maxed out? But at the same time, what I heard was that there was there's still a leap of faith. There's still this like, I don't know if that's going to be right. And so on one hand, there's this, I could stay this place, which I would say there's safety there and structure, yeah. or I could jump into this place, which was uncertain and potentially adventurous and you talked about the four values you have but i assume there's also something here i just want to do something different i don't know whether for me there was i want to do something different i think it was i want to create something i think that Mm. was the that was the most for me personally that was my motivation um because doing differently i think for me perhaps would have been oh, well, I'm sort of not as happy over here and i want to just do something different i think it was more you know, when you have, um, I always ask people, when we, I say to everyone, do an energy audit of your week. And so at the end of every day, just ask yourself one coaching question, which is what gave me the most energy today? So of everything that you did, maybe it was the hour where you spoke to no one and you found your flow like writing something. Maybe it was when you were problem solving, you were collaborating, whatever it might be. What I realized is that moment of high energy for me while I was finding my flow were those amazing if moments. So it was sort of like the, oh, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i very good in this current job. Maybe I found a way to be very good. Oh, but maybe there's maybe I could be great. Maybe I could, given how much energy this, these other things give me, um, this seems to be where I'm at my best and I seem to be better. I just seem to be that bit better when I am doing a career development workshop. It gives me so much energy. I seem to find my flow. I seem to use my strengths. Um all of the indicators feel positive, essentially. And so I think it was more about that going to that sense of energy and enjoyment and going, um, imagine if, like, wouldn't it be amazing if this could be my, what I spent more of my time on? Um, and like I say, that happened, that was, I mean, we've been doing amazing if since 2013. We're like the slowest tortoise of all time. But I think that's been really good for us. That that meant that we we tested our ideas, we let go of stuff that failed along the way. We made sure that we wanted to work together. And so then it happened very naturally and organically. Um, and, I, and I think that's been a kind of really good thing, really, really good thing for us. But again, it doesn't mean it's always easy. Like um, I mentioned to you the other day, I definitely had a moment last year where I wanted to hide under a duvet semi-permanently. Um, and I'd never felt like that in corporate world, ever. So I had never felt like that working in any big brand. I'd never thought, I wish I could escape the world for a week. Um, and last year, I definitely had that moment. And that felt really unfamiliar and quite scary. Yeah, so thank you for, for mentioning that. And I'd like to, if possible, just for for people who may experience that kind of phase or just you know, themselves or recognise that, I'd like to talk a bit more to that as well. Um, I'm also curious about some parallels here because what I heard when you're talking about this transition to Amazing If, there's... 
this idea of an energy order. So where do you, where are you getting a lot of energy and, and figuring out where the energy is coming from? But then this real need to create. I want to create something. That's what I heard. And so I, when, you know, one of the things that I think many of the people are attracted to our community is like, it isn't necessarily about the money. And sometimes it isn't necessarily about the impact. It's that I just want to make something for myself. There is something inside that I want to birth. And I want to use my time in the most energetic way that feels most energetically uh, aligned. Well, yeah, so many parallels, you know, starting a business with friends, being starting business around the same time, about 2012, 2013, we started Happy Startup School, running it as a side project for, we had two years, I think, of the agency and Happy Startup as a side project. So there's lots of parallels there. Um, and also just the dip. Yeah, like you talked about those moments. I think we definitely had those over the years. Certainly, I say probably about three or four years ago, um, we just had a crazy year doing event after event and just saying yes to everything because we weren't sure what the right thing was to do and getting to a point um, where I just thought I can't do another year like that. As, as fun as it was, need to either stop, stop doing some things, build some better habits or um, yeah, bring in more help. And so in some ways, I wonder whether those are the times when they almost need to happen to know what your limits are, what your boundaries are and, and actually which are the bits you enjoy doing. And like you said, that energy audit I think is so powerful because that was actually the thing I got from trying to decide between what do we do? We, you know, do we stick or twist? Do we go with the safe agency? We could see the business. We could see the future. We could see the there was a plan. You know, there was a, a model to follow, and we knew people who were ahead of us, and we could sort of use them as mentors. But it wasn't really exciting. It wasn't really energizing me, and I don't think it was either Carlos. Versus, we're doing this thing on the side, but it just feels like fun. It feels like play, and I'm getting so much off it, so much energy off it, and the people we're meeting and within a few months of starting Happy Startup School, we probably had more more sort of positive energy coming back to us than we'd had in 10 years of running an agency, as good as it was. So it just like you said, it felt like a different level of experience, really, of work. I'd never, I've never experienced that before, that feeling of depth that I'd not experienced. And so that was what was calling me. I was getting a buzz off the energy of others um, rather than just there's times when I enjoy writing and I get energy off that too. But there was definitely that feeling of, yeah, this is where I need to be. This is where I'm best used to people. Yeah, and on that kind of the the dip or the 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 duvet week, what <laughs> were you able to identify what it was, and then with, with or was it just a phase that you had to run through? How, how did that manifest for you, Sarah? So, what was interesting about that moment is I think it's probably the first time where I, I couldn't see I couldn't see. Uh, my way through a period of time so we're all everyone's always busy and we've always got loads of things that were sort of fitting together but I'd always experienced you know I could have got a lot of capacity and I was able to always think have confidence in myself I will find my way through this yeah we've got some big things happening but I feel good about uh, you know I've got the right people and I'm my own confidence in my own abilities and I think that was the big difference for me is I, I looked ahead to the next two or three months and I thought I, I can't I can't strategically I can't put all the pieces of the puzzle together in a way that works I, d I don't get it I don't get how this is going to happen uh, so I felt out of control and I don't like I don't like being out of control I've got high need for control and and I think it that was just a very unfamiliar feeling for me and so interestingly, so I rang my co-founder. I was, it was like a freezing cold day. I was at Clapham Junction Station. It was like snowing, like, but not in a nice, pretty snow way in like a 
cold, sleety, horrible way. Um, rang Helen, my co-founder, who's a real extrovert. She's a real doer. I'm more of a thinker. And what was what was interesting in that moment is when I spoke to her and was sort of trying to describe, but less articulately, and this might have not been that articulate, but in terms of what I've just sort of talked to you, how I was feeling and what I was worried about, she, she didn't really get it. So what she moved to really quickly, which is what we would do 99% of the time, is like, how can I help? What do we need to do? What action should we take? And I sort of refused to be drawn into that conversation. I was sort of like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not really there yet. No, I didn't, I, and I sort of didn't really, I just almost couldn't react. And then I, we sort of, I sort of just like hung up, hung, hung up the phone. And straight away, we were like, that's weird. That just didn't feel right. That doesn't feel like our other conversations. What, what, something went wrong there. And what's interesting is she went home to her husband and then talked to him and she was like, I've just had this really weird conversation with Sarah. And he sort of said to her, oh, I think perhaps you didn't give Sarah what she needed. Um, and you're so action focused, you sometimes forget to have empathy. Now, that's a really harsh bit of feedback that only a husband could probably give a wife. Um, now, Helen, then, so between us, I was already really struggling. Helen then gets really upset because her husband has just told her she hasn't got any empathy, um, which she absolutely does have. And then she gets really worried that she hasn't then helped me. And so what was so funny that Friday night, and I mean, I think you have to laugh by this point, is like we're both trying to like bath our kids and stuff, kind of just between us sort of falling apart all over the place. And we're like, what is happening? Um, and it will happen quite quickly. And what was interesting is we've always talked about um, fix friction fast. And that wasn't really friction, but when something doesn't feel right, calling it and just sort of saying this doesn't feel right and that being okay. And actually what I really needed in that moment, all I needed was someone to listen to me. I just needed a, a kind of pure listener um, with lots of empathy, just to support and sort of, I just needed someone to be there, you know, just kind of completely just be there. And so actually I went to a different friend, a friend I've worked with before. Um, he's great. And he sort of had a very different response to Helen. And he's a very different sort of person to Helen. He was like, have a drink. That was his first response. <laughs> like, get, get the G&T out. Then his next response was like, what are you doing at the weekend? Like, you do, like, do something fun at the weekend. Almost like forget about work for now. Sort of just lock it away for a bit. I know it's not going to go away. But just like, almost distract yourself. So he had a very, very different response. And that was actually what I needed in that in that moment. And so... It was actually really good for our relationship for Helen and I to know that sometimes we don't always have to be each other's answer. That's that's a good thing. You don't want we will say you don't want your development to be dependent on anyone or certainly not any one person. Um, and also it helped us to realise that we can get through those hard moments. And it really made us press pause and it made us press pause and go, OK, that's it was such a significant response from me and one that neither has sort of seen that it really made us stop and evaluate. Okay, so why, what triggered that? What is that about? Like, why, what do we need to do differently? We asked ourselves some really hard questions and you can't change things overnight. And a lot of the changes that actually we then made took six to nine months to make because you can't just drop everything, you know, you've, you've made commitment. But you can, you can always, I think, do some things differently. There's always something. There's always something you can either say no to, you can get some help or um, you can deprioritize. It might not feel very comfortable. It might not feel very fun, but there's always something, at least a little bit around the edges, because the bigger changes do tend to take a bit longer. Well, certainly that's been my experience over the last year. So albeit I don't really want to experience that in quite that same way again, 
it wasn't I can laugh about it now but at that time it didn't didn't feel great I'm sort of grateful for it because I feel like we are a better business because of my Clapham Junction meltdown and I talked I've talked about it a few times now that you know I feel like I can laugh at myself about it and I get people emailing me just being like I forget that people listen to our podcast sometimes and then I got my mum emailing me being like are you okay because my mum listens she's like our biggest fan she's like are you okay is everything all right and I was like oh yeah I sort of forgot I forgot that by saying these, these things out loud there are people who actually do know me really well who then might be worried <laughs> and so it was all it was all fine um but I think it was a valuable insight for me that you can mm-hmm. be doing the job you really want to be doing and that you designed and that I I love and those things can still happen and that's okay that's okay it doesn't mean you're in the wrong job it doesn't mean I should not do amazing here. It just means it's a hard moment. It's one of those knotty moments where you've got to find your way through it and you've got to get unstuck and and that's okay. I call them AFCOs, another fucking growth opportunity. And it's, <laughs> it is like what I heard there was there's like a period where the next three months or so looked really bleak. Like there's just like a dark shadow and not knowing what was next. And it felt like just pausing and stopping and not being in the fixing mode straight away gave some space to imagine what could be, as opposed to, oh, my God, this train is going to hit me in about whatever. The future is inevitable kind of feeling it felt like, or, or a bleak future was inevitable. And we talk a lot about in our community well, we've inherited the idea of the power of pause from a good friend, Sally Ann Airy. And we've also uh, done a couple of initiatives, one called the Day of Nothing. And also we've done a retreat called the Week of Nothing. Well, I think well, the Day of Nothing came out of in the midst of the pandemic, really. There was a lot of we didn't do our summer camp. And so there was a, a, a call for us to do a virtual version of it. And the energy just wasn't there. And I just didn't feel right to try and recreate that experience online because it's a completely different thing. Um, and so actually that was almost a backlash to that in, in terms of wanting to switch off rather than stay switched on. Um, but I think it's, I suppose anyone who runs their own business, I think the more you um, work as an entrepreneur, you realize the importance of space and the importance of um, that time away from the business, whether it's a walk in the morning or just, yeah, uh, five minutes grabbing a coffee, that, that moment of pause, I think it's so powerful for our ideas, for our um, sanity and for our well-being. And so, yeah, the week of nothing was really an extension of that, where we spent five days in lovely centre in Somerset, um, pausing, which, again, for a lot of people, scary as well. It's like summer camp next weekend. We were talking about this this morning, me and Carlos. You know, for some people coming back, it's a great chance to reconnect. So it's almost like a reunion. For new people, it can be scary, this idea of leaving your kids at home if you've got kids for three days and creating space for yourself. Even if you know you probably need it, there's a fear of what happens when you create it, because I think... We're so used to having a day's program that I don't know if you find this on your Fridays, that there's a space that you create that you put trust in, but ultimately things emerge that you maybe didn't expect or feelings might pop up that you weren't planning for. And so it comes with a word of warning, I suppose. And that's why I think a community and people around you are so important so that they can pick you up when those things come up that maybe are there anyway, but you just have so many layers on top that you don't always see them. So for me, it's just a bit of letting the guard down and unraveling those layers so we can actually know what's really going on rather than just carry on as normal and ideally preempting those moments where you're not hiding on the duvet for a week or even a month but you (laughs) put yourself first for a change the other thing is um which you mentioned earlier in our conversation today is you realize you're in it for the long term and so 
to to do that you know like i i think well i i love what i do so much that i still i want to be able to do it in 10 years time in 20 years time in 30 years time we talk about this in the communities this idea of sustainability there's financial sustainability then there's energetic sustainability and our ability to to always be in that space of creativity be in that optimistic space where we feel that you know we want we're motivated to continue with the work and and having those times to pause one hope to to end on um because this is one of the things i heard sarah talk about before when she was making the transition to amazing if was to have good support around you and we can maybe talk a little bit to that myself and lawrence but maybe sarah are you back so I think Sarah is going to try and reboot squ- her squiggly connection. <laughs> squiggly connection. Well, one thing that came to mind I was going to actually ask Sarah was this. So she talked a lot about the transferable skills and these intangibles when you do something different, transfer careers or start a new business. But I think um, there's something about having a story to tell other people because I think that's always the issue, isn't it? If you're doing something different and someone asks a question or it doesn't work out, what do you say to people? And so... In some ways, I've found that having people around you is really helpful with that because they can help you craft a story that makes sense, um, even if something didn't work, rather than just, I tried something, I feel like a failure, I'm, I feel like an embarrassment because people ask me what went wrong and did it work? You know, how's it going with the business? Is it going great? You know, people ask things, how's business? Which can be a tough question when business isn't going well. And, and as if that's the only measure of like things are going well because the business is going well or vice versa. So yeah, that... That story piece, I think, is so important. And I think that's really hard to create on your own because you're wrapped in something. So whether it's having a mentor or coach or just peers or a community around you to say, have you thought about it this way? Try reframing it this way. And then they then have something to say when someone says, how's it going? They say, I'm okay. And this is what I've got from it. And I'm moving on. Rather than I feel like a failure because it was so binary that it either worked or it didn't. Yeah, and what I liked... Um, I was picking up from what Sarah's story around that kind of duvet week was also rather than jumping into fixing things and we have all have people who can fix problems for us that we can mm-hmm. lean on there's also people who can hold space for us and just l- give us a chance to just share what's really going on and um, when it comes to this idea of creating finding support Traditionally, I think business owners or people starting business, they think, oh, I need an accountant, I need a lawyer, I need a web designer, I need a graphic designer, you know, all of these kind of more tangible kind of levels of support, but not necessarily the emotional side. And maybe they think, oh, my partner or my family or some friends will be able to do that. Not necessarily, though, if they haven't had the same experience or aren't in the same frame of reference of you in terms of like... (laughs) starting something new starting a business stepping into something uncertain and so for me there's something here around having people around you that not only understand the journey but also understand the type of journey you're going on that isn't just about the money and this is why i think our community is important is that when even when you're saying large our business isn't going well if you look, you can look at it from a very simple lens of how much money you're making. But business could be going well because I've still got the freedom. <laughs> I'm mm. still doing what I want. It's just at the moment, the money isn't doing the way I'd like it to, or isn't working the way I'd like it to work. But it doesn't mean business isn't going well. It's just not performing in that lens. And so, like you're saying, how do we expand the story that I'm still on the journey I need to take? It's just certain bits that are still challenging rather than, oh, the business is screwed because we're not making the revenue that we said we we're going to make in our Q4 planning meeting. It's like, no, <laughs> just 
going through a hard patch. I like Sarah I said, there's yeah. an element of doing the right thing, you know, enjoying each week, enjoying each day, and then yeah. doing the right thing, living your values. And over time, those tough weeks get balanced out by the better weeks rather than it being sort of, yeah, peaks and troughs. And I think it's nice to have, to meet Sarah and to talk to her more for me because then surrounding yourself with and connecting with people who also appreciate that way of working who mm. also think of it not purely in very simple terms around business so um it's a shame that we weren't able to say goodbye to you sarah uh, properly i hope you're still there listening um thank you please share in the chat uh, because you haven't had a chance to do your shameless promotion bit <laughs> um a link to Amazing If or anything that's going on uh, for you at the moment that you'd like people to pay attention to because there is the podcast as well and you have the new book, uh, You Coach You, as well as uh, previous books, Squiggly Careers. Um, so if you want to find out more about there, the Squiggly Careers podcast, please look that up if you're interested in finding out more about Sarah and her co-founder Helen and there's AmazingIf.com and you'll find out about their books as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. To hear more inspiring conversations like this, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for the Happy Entrepreneur. In March, we'll be launching Tribe 7 of our Vision 2020 program. If you're at a point in your career or entrepreneurial journey where you're asking yourself, what next? and you need the clarity and confidence to make some bold decisions about a new direction, then this program is for you. We'll help you define what success really means to you, understand the impact that is yours to make, make sure your mission is both energetically and financially sustainable, and also learn how to build a supportive community around yourself. We want people who are driven to do good in the world and are tired of trying to do it on their own. We'll share the key lessons we've learned while building the Happy Startup School and pivoting from the stressful peaks and troughs of agency life to a life of freedom, adventure, service and connection. We value learning, play and friendship and we'd like to help you discover the values and the work that align more to who you are. Don't struggle alone and don't get sidetracked by other people's measures of success. Discover for yourself what it means to create effortless impact to apply for the next tribe, go to vision.happystartups.co. We look forward to hearing from you.